Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, uh, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is actually a very serious one. We're going to talk about pornography and pornography in the church in particular, and the various ministries that are available to help people deal with this area and what's going on in this area. And I have three experts here to help us negotiate uh, this material. Josh Proctor, uh, who I'm giving credit for uh, encouraging us to do this podcast, is here on my right, and he is uh, he has a ministry called JoshProctor.com that run, is run out of is it uh, Remedy Church yes, in sir. Waxahachie? Yes, sir. And uh, he's been engaged in in dealing with this ministry and dealing with people who are addicted to pornography for uh, for several years now. And then Joy, and I'm gonna I'm probably gonna mess this up, but Joy, is it Pedro? Yeah. Oh, how about that? Okay. Founder of Joy Pedro Ministries, and she's been involved in this ministry for some time. And then Josh McDowell, who is coming to us from California, just back from Manila, who is uh, uh, founder and director of Josh McDowell Ministry, which is a part of Crew, and he has been connected, he was telling me to Crew, for 55 years. And if the name sounds familiar and the look looks familiar, you're probably familiar with Josh for evidence that demands a verdict and and more evidence that demands a verdict. And now I guess a volume two is out. Is that correct, Josh? No, it's a complete revision, 70% new. Oh, wow. Come back to the title, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Okay. And is that out yet or is it about to be released? Yes. It came out two weeks ago. Okay. All right. Very good. And I think I sent you a copy. You did. I, I did, and I. Uh, you probably already sold it. I no, I have it sitting on my desk. I very much appreciate it. And Josh, we have another first with you here, and that is, you're probably you and your son are probably the first father-son team that we have had, who've both been on the table. So I don't. I, I guess the the ribbon is in the mail or something. But anyway, um, so it's a pleasure to have them. Uh, with us to discuss this topic, and uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go around the room first and ha- have them talk about um, what got them into this ministry. And Josh, uh, I, we're gonna we're gonna respect our elders here, so you're gonna get to go first for there in California. How did you get into a ministry that's involved with pornography? About nine years ago, I started to sense there's something wrong with culture, with the youth, and all that was affecting their authority, their source of authority. I, Daryl, I couldn't put my finger on it. It took me a whole year. Usually I can tell you what the problem is instantly. And I remember and I called my wife and I said, honey, I now understand what it is. It's pervasive internet pornography. Hmm. And I felt as an apologist that if I do not deal with, apolo- with uh, pornography and its effect upon truth, then I'm not fulfilling God's calling in my life. Because I think probably one of the biggest barriers today for kids coming to Christ is pornography. Hmm. They asked the question, Crew did, of 485 students who had come to Christ when I was speaking. And the second follow-up, they said, what is your greatest barrier to becoming a true follower of Jesus Christ? Daryl, when they sent me 
the email, they said, you won't be able to believe this. All 485 students said pornography. Wow. wow. So if you don't deal with it, wow. you're missing God's call in your life as an apologist. Wow. Hmm. Okay, well, Josh, uh, and we got two Joshes here, so, so I'm – I'm going to be Josh challenged during the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Josh P. I guess is what we've decided to call you for Sweet. Proctor. Okay, uh, how did you get involved in this ministry? Well, uh, I mean, it goes back to when I was a kid. When I was 12 years old, like I stumbled on porn, um, and this is all pre-internet because uh, I'm 41. And so, for my dad was a pastor from 12 to 20. Like I had a secret addiction, mm-hmm. worked really hard to find stuff, you know, because it wasn't the internet, um, you know, the internet, internet was not around then, it started to become a little more prevalent when I was in college, and then uh, God in His grace um, just pricked my heart and helped me come clean about what I was wrestling with, and in my 20s, led me to two men who set me free, I mean, hmm. or pointed me to Jesus so I could learn how to walk in freedom that, that He's given me, hmm. um, and I thought that was it. Mm-hmm. Until about 2011, 2012, uh, and I was doing multiple things work-wise, but one of them was like life coaching, mentoring, discipleship, and the other was coaching part-time in a Christian school, and I had never had that many people confess to me issues with pornography ever. Mm-hmm. And as I was praying about it, the, uh, the Lord basically said, you know how to help because mm. you've been helped, so start helping, mm. and then it snowballed into what I'm doing today. Oh, wow. And Joy, how did you end up being in this area? Yeah, so it all started my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. I was a new Christian. I was healing from some sexual abuse and turning to pornography for comfort. Mm-hmm. And so from that journey, I just felt so alone and shameful and didn't hear anyone talk about it, especially for women. You hear that men struggle with pornography, but not women. And so I felt even more alone. And I went to Crew, I was involved in Crew, and Mm. I went to one of their women's nights, and a woman went first and shared her story of how she was struggling with pornography and found freedom. Mm. And that gave me the gift to go second and be able to share my story and find freedom. Mm. And from that, I started to look for resources and realized there weren't that many out there for women. Mm. And so I launched my blog, and I started speaking and teaching just to help women find freedom from shame. Mm. Amen. Huh. Now, th- this is really interesting because I've brought you three together. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you all have met each other before we've before no. we're doing no. this. <laughs> okay, and you've all used the same phraseology. And in fact, Josh has a book that he's just written called "Set Free to Choose Right: Equipping Today's Kids to Make Right Moral Choices for Life." Uh, there it is. And you've all talked about being uh, being set free uh, from this. So let's let's talk about that process a little bit. Uh, and, well, before we get there, let's talk about um, how pervasive this is. And Josh, you've Josh McDowell in California. Josh in California, maybe that's the way to do it. Uh, uh, you've got statistics about how pervasive this is. You've already suggested it by this second answer that you've talked about that came from your crew ministry. But uh, talk to us about some of the statistics that we're dealing with and how pervasive this is. There's 26 million pornographic websites, one click away from right here in my living room, 2.3 billion pages. Just one of 26 billion sites, just one, 
last year had 23 billion visitors. Mm. That's over 64 million every day. They had 91,980,000,000 porn videos watched. That is enough videos for 12 and a half videos for every man, woman, and child alive. And that's only one site of 26 million. Mm. They said 4.4 billion pages viewed by that site every 30 days. But get this. It comes out to 201 trillion pages last year. By just one site, if you printed those pages out from one site in one year, it would fill over 20 billion four-drawer file cabinets. Another site, every two seconds, Daryl, every two seconds, 4,000 more porn videos are being shown. And that's only on two sites. Hmm. Uh, whenever somebody says, well, my kids won't look for it, that's about the dumbest statement you can make because porn is looking for your kids. That's right. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's right. Uh, Josh, comments? I mean, you said that's right. Um, it's readily accessible mm -hmm. and well, it is being accessed. It, I would say as a parent, it's irresponsible and negligent and even like borderline neglectful mm -hmm. if you don't sit down and talk with your kids about what's available mm -hmm. because they're going to see it mm -hmm. um and and they need to know what it is when like when it comes it's like wait a minute this is not what god intended this is what my parents were talking about mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a mess mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. and it's it's even happening in our churches mm -hmm. i mean 34 percent of women in our churches are struggling with pornography mm -hmm. so this is not just an issue that's happening outside the church so we need to be talking about it in our churches well and that's 34 percent that admit yes that's right yes so <laughs> but daryl yeah for 34 from uh, 18 to 34 year old women in evangelical church it's 56 percent right. actively pursue pornography with the, one of the best, most biblically-based mission organizations in the United States, solid, and one of the largest in the world, just one of their divisions, since January 1, they've had 276 applications for staff. I mean, these are top seminary graduates, Bible school grads, some of the most spiritual kids in the campus. They sent me an email. Of 276 applications in the last two months, 99% of the men, 80% of the women applying for that organization pursue pornography on the Internet. Mm. That, I can't even grasp it. I can't get my mind around it or my hand, but I know it's true. Mm -hmm. It's, I can tell you, one of the top Bible schools in America that is so respected. Everybody knows about it all over the world. Of their students, hundreds that are studying to go into the pastorate, Right now, it's probably 100% are struggling with pornography in the Internet. Wow. Wow. Well, let's mm – -hmm. I'm actually uh, uncertain where to go next, but let's start here since this got raised. You said it would be irresponsible for parents not to talk to their kids about this. I think most parents out there who are raising kids who haven't thought about talking to their kids about this would say, okay, at what age? And, in other words, how would – what what are the signs or the signals or whatever w would you have? What advice would you give in thinking about when to address this? 
Well, I would say um, this is not going to be an answer that the audience wants to hear. Okay. But it really depends on the child. Okay. And I think that, especially within the, like church circles, if I know how to pray and I know how to spend time in God's Word and I know how to listen to the Spirit, and I'm actively praying and asking the Lord, when is the right time to bring this to my child? Um, like, I've heard as young as six. I've heard, you know, waiting until 10, 11, 12. Um, but if you're not addressing it when they're in elementary school, I think you're missing the boat. And the other thing is, it's an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not like my generation, it was, we're going to talk to you about this once or twice, and now we're good. We've had the talk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. This is an ongoing dialogue, and it's almost like you're trying to, you're not redefining sex, but because sex has been so distorted, you have to redefine it from God's perspective. Hmm. And they have to see it as a beautiful good god-given gift not as this shameful horrible thing that needs to be done in secret it does need to be done in secret in the context of biblical marriage mm -hmm. but it also needs to be told to kids this is a good gift mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing mm -hmm. so so and i i take one of the other cues or clues as to when to do this is when a child begins to get some level of independent access to the to the resources where where you can get access to this stuff, that that would be one of the factors that you'd have to weigh in because um, they're going to, if they aren't going to, if you don't address it and they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear, they're going to hear about this stuff from somewhere else. Well, if, if they have a video gaming station, if they have a smartphone, if they have an iPad, if there any electronic device they have has access to the internet, and if they have access to the internet, they either need like significant parental blockers on it, which they can probably get around anyway, mm -hmm. and or they need to have a sit-down conversation um, with that child. Okay. And, I, and I've done some trainings on that with parents in churches of, of how you do that when you do that. It's just hard to narrow it down to one specific age. Got it. Got mm -hmm. it. Fair enough. Joy, any... Yeah, I mean, even you could do all the protection in the world, but I first discovered it from a friend showing mm -hmm. me right. at her house. Mm -hmm. So really, there's it might just happen. And so having that openness with your children, that conversation, kind of so then if they stumble upon it, they don't feel this shame and this guilt. We don't want to put shame into them. So we want to help create that so that they can talk to us about it. Okay, Josh, you've obviously been working with this a long time in the context of ministry, and this is, I think, a pretty a significant question. So what advice would you give in terms of age and approach and that kind of thing? Well, I agree with both Josh P. and with Joy, mm -hmm. but I, I would go further. I would say you've almost got to start at birth. Why? The average age group worldwide right now is eight years old. I believe in evangelical homes, especially evangelical pastors' homes, it's four to six years old. Mm. And I think you need to start at birth. People say that's impossible. I wrote a book on it called Straight Talk With Your Kids About Sex mm -hmm. in the Age of the Internet and Pornography. Mm -hmm. You've got to start when they're born because by the first time they see it, you need to build in, like what Josh P. was talking about, build in a very healthy, exciting, biblically-based view of sexuality, how beautiful it is. God created it. God created your beautiful body that he's made and all, and you have to evaluate it with each child as some are a little more mature than others. But you've got to start younger than what you ever think. And here's the thing. If you do not build a loving, intimate, secure marriage and home 
where your children feel free to ask you anything, and I mean anything, without shame, without judgment, without starting to quote the Bible. Some Christians can't open their mouth without, well, don't you know God says, that's one of the fastest way to turn your children off. Listen to them. You can bring in God's view later. And Joy is right. We've got to reach them by the first time they see it. And you better have in your mind, it's five years old. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what conditions you have in your home and the Internet and everything else. Parents have lost control. What about your child's friend's smartphone? What about your child's friend iPad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Hmm. You don't have any control over that. The number one teacher of children today is no longer the church. It is no longer the family. It is no longer the school. It's Google. Mm-hmm. Definitely. If yeah, you do not talk to them young, I guarantee you they will go to Google. And I mean at six, seven, eight years old. And you won't like the answers they get. Hmm. And we've got to start young. So uh, I want to kind of flesh this out a little bit because I think it's interesting. The point that you're making is is that you need to – you need to establish what sex is and what sexuality is at a very, very young age. Uh, and I guess the question I have now is, is that when do you begin to broach the topic of the abuse of sexuality and the presence of pornography, et cetera? Because when you're talking about from birth, you're not necessarily talking about that strand, but that's obviously eventually part of the conversation that you're going to be having. I would put it this way. Mm. By the first time your child sees pornography, and they're going to see it. Mm -hmm. They are going to see it, period. By the first time, if they do not have a certain understanding of the authenticity of sexuality, who created sexuality, how beautiful it is, how your body is very beautiful, then when they see pornography, they won't be able to detect a counterfeit. Mm. And what is happening Even our Christian evangelical young people are growing up thinking pornography is sexuality. Pornography Mm -hmm. is God's means. Why? 75% of Christian parents have never, ever talked to their children about pornography. And like Josh P. said, that is one of the gravest crimes and sins against our children. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so you gotta excuse me. I get so <laughs> I know excited about this subject because I see the broken hearts every day. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, of course, you and I remember when we uh, touched base at Jim Beckett's Bible study, and we had you out to talk about this. And uh, that's when I knew I had to have you be a part of this conversation because I saw your passion with regard to this and and your understanding about how pervasive it is. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. 
Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk a little bit, and we've got about four minutes left in this segment. I'll try and confine it to this segment, which will be tricky. But let's talk about how dangerous this is. Let's talk about the damage that gets done. Um, and uh, Joy, uh, I'm going to start with you. You say, you know, most people when they think about this usually just think, well, it's it's a male problem. Uh, and and what you're telling us is, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. It's it extends far wider than that way. I guess you can't get much wider than male. There's females left. So so talk <laughs> about it from the, from that angle. I mean, the damage is never ending. Mm-hmm. The shame, the the self-hate that starts and the the fact that pornography is fake. So Mm -hmm. these women are most likely on drugs. They're most likely on drinking alcohol and just experiencing fake sex. Um, And so as someone who would be watching that, they would think, I need to look as, as skinny as them. Well, they might not be eating these women. And so it just creates these fake, um, fake, images in your head and fake belief about sexuality so it's just teaching them what sex is and so if we're not discipling our generation if we're not discipling our kids with sex they're gonna be discipled by pornography and the internet and so the damage just (laughs) it's crazy josh p damage that you see because you Minister, well, I think that I mean Joy's already touched on this, uh-huh. but I think shame is the big one. First mm-hmm. um, Corinthians six eighteen talks about the one who sins sexually sins against themselves, mm-hmm. and it's not that a sexual sin like is a worse sin and mm-hmm. it's a, like it ranks higher than other sins, because when Paul goes through this list of things in First Corinthians six about who won't inherit the kingdom of God, there's a lot of other things mis- mentioned, mm-hmm. but you cannot. It's impossible to put into words the amount of shame that it puts on that person Mm -hmm. as well as the shame that it puts on the people close to that person that are being hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I could talk about a lot of other things to do to damage it, but to me, the number one issue is the shame issue. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And Josh, you speak about this in the book. You talk about toxic shame uh, and... uh, and and the damage and and I guess the two that I see are the shame that is involved for the person who's involved and the second is the destruction of trust that emerges as a result for the spouse who finds out that this is going on in their marriage. Well, I really hear the heart of Josh there, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we have to go back further, Daryl. Mm. Even before shame, you cannot understand pornography if you don't understand the human brain. Hmm. You cannot understand an answer to pornography if you don't understand neurology. You can't. Hmm. It's more than just biblical. Within 10 seconds, your brain is physically, biologically changed. And I've got all the documentation on that. Within 10 seconds of a video screen passing in front of you, this wouldn't be, um, um, oh, come on, where you read books on it. Uh, my mind went blank. But on a passing screen, like an iPad, Kindle. It's not in a Kindle. It's like an iPad or a cell phone. Within 10 seconds, your brain changes. Okay. Well, That wh- happens before you ever sense shame or anything. Okay. 
This is something that's actually been studied and tested a great deal, hasn't it? Oh, it has by just about every neurologist out there. And the biggest thing, and it's the biggest change immediately, and what we must deal with in any solution, is that you've heard the phrase, cells that fire together, wire together. Hmm. What that means, in the example of pornography, when you see pornography move across a screen, the images are so novel, so powerful, Instantly, a certain combination of cells in your brain fires. And every time you see pornography, those same cells fire. And what happens in a short period of time, you develop what's called neurological pathways. It's like walking through a woods. After quite a few times, you develop a a dirt path. Well, this is what happens in your brain. And then you're driving, you see a, you smell a certain smell, hear a certain sound or music, see a, a risque billboard or something else. Immediately, those cells fire. And with a man, he has to go masturbate. And he can't reason through it. He can't think it because it immediately goes beyond his uh, prefrontal cortex straight to the limbic system. So when you give in to your cravings, you give up on your reasoning. And this is why so many men and women will make some of the dumbest, stupidest decisions, walk away from a 30-year marriage, a wonderful family, from their ministry, their business, 38% do, because it's affected their very reasoning power. Hmm. And so that's the first real change that takes place before toxic shame or anything is it immediately creates neurological pathways that they can watch with technology today. Okay, and we'll obviously we'll come back to this because obviously then dealing with How this do you on the other it? exactly yes. right. So we're so that's in the queue now. But let's let's work through our list. So let's talk a little bit about toxic shame. What's toxic shame, Josh? Toxic shame is where you're you're doing something, seeing something that affects your opinion of who you are as a person. Guilt is more with your behavior. Shame is with your personhood, Mm. who you are. And you can't watch pornography very long before that aspect of your personality starts to sense a bitterness, a shame, um, a toxic disease in their own life. And what so often happens, this is so sad, is when the shame starts to take place, you actually go to more pornography to escape it, and it intensifies the shame. So I put guilt as that relates to what you do. Shame relates to who you are, created in the image of God with infinite value, dignity, and worth. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, Joy, you said you could talk about trust. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I was at a speaking engagement talking about this issue, and afterwards a woman came up to me, tears in her eyes, saying she had finally found freedom from pornography, but her biggest worry was, will a man ever love me because of my past, because of my sin? And so she just worried that a man wouldn't be able to trust her. And I was able to share that I married a man who never struggled with pornography, And so I had the same feelings, and to be able to be married to him and see him love me like Christ loves me, and to look at me as a pure bride, it's just, when 
I was tell- encouraging her and telling her that if a man loves Jesus, he's going to look at you as pure. He's going to trust you. And so just to be able to use my story to help her um, find that healing. Now, that's interesting because the trust that you're talking about is the trust that comes from from the person who has participated in the pornography. Mm-hmm. There's another element of trust mm-hmm. that's a part of the equation. I'm going to come to you, Josh P., for this. And that is um, the element of trust of the spouse who finds out that this is going on in their house. And the and, and, and I guess the other word that goes with this, the sense of betrayal that comes with right. it. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about that and, and, and those consequences. So for my marriage, uh, we went to you know some Christian counseling, and one of the things that he did is he had a, a dry erase board, and on the dry erase board he wrote down like he he said on a scale of one to ten, um, my wife's name is Kelly. He said so on a scale of one to ten, Kelly, um, how would you rate um, Josh's understanding of what he did wrong? Mm-hmm. And so she put it at a ten. Mm-hmm. And then he said, on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate Josh's understanding of what that did to your heart? Hmm. And she put it at a two. Mm-hmm. And my being able to build trust back with my wife was directly tied to my understanding of her pain. Hmm. Hmm. And so the, the more that I was able to understand her pain, the more trust was able to be built and the more I understood her pain the more boundaries I put in my life Mm -hmm. and the more help I got Mm. because I never wanted to do that to her again Mm -hmm. and the more help I got and the more boundaries I put in place the more trust that developed but for us beautiful it started when I could see what I did to her heart and 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 this is not something that you in one sense you fix overnight And, and what I mean by that is is you can forgive, and the person can offer the forgiveness. But working through that is is a is a bigger, longer journey in many ways. Is that is that a fair way to characterize I would, it? I would say it's still going on. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll come home from a, a trip speaking, and for whatever reason, man, Kelly was attacked in her mind, and she was like, you know, I need to know. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm reminding her of the boundaries I have that I, I don't stay in a hotel room by myself, that I don't. You know, have internet access on my phone. I don't carry a lap. You know, so I'm reminding her of all those things, and then I'm like, "And babe, I didn't do anything." And mm-hmm. that instantly, like, the trust is back. But it's a, it's, it's a for our marriage. I don't feel like that ever goes away. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Josh, any Daryl? Can I add to that? Yeah, sure. Josh Proctor's wife probably re- represents 99 percent of porn addict spouses. I have concluded the number one hurting person, most hurting in every single church in the world, even the jungles of Africa, Indonesia, whatever, is the spouse of a porn addict. Hmm. They are destroyed. And as men, it's very difficult to understand what it does to a woman, to her psyche, to her being, to her personality, everything. And I'd recommend... There's a book by Vicki Tede, T-I-E-D-E, Vicki Tede, on, I don't know the exact title, maybe you do, Joy, on Married to the, uh, the Spouse of a Porn Addict. I believe every pastor should absolutely be required to study that book. Hmm. I never understood the hurt that it brings to a woman until I studied that book, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. Hmm. It devastates a woman. And I would say most 
women who say, my husband understands it about a one to a two on a scale of 10. Hmm. And it takes, like you said, Daryl, and, and Josh brought out in joy, it takes a period of time. It can take four, five, six, seven years to build that trust that Joy was talking about. And I'll tell you this, if you don't come clean 100%, your spouse will never experience the joy and the freedom of trusting you. Mm. You must come clean. Amen. So it's obviously a, a, a key key part of this uh, process and it, and I, I do think it it's it's a it's a consequence that that isn't in someone's mind I I think who who steps in this direction that they they just do what they do and it 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 bypasses them in some way or something like that um, let, let's let's come let's let's deal with we've got about 13 minutes left um, I normally don't talk about the clock, but in this case, we need to. Let's talk about, okay, so I'm in this situation, and what do I do to get out of it? Okay, so what advice do you give to the person who, it, who feels trapped and who has that sense of shame? What, what suggestions would you have? Josh, I'll start with you. Uh, well, we have developed a website with the Southern Baptist of Texas called CraveFreedom.com, mm-hmm. and it's what we—it's the 30-day process that we take guys through um, to start their road to freedom. Not at the end of that 30 days that they're free. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that would be one resource. Uh, the, the biggest—it's. I mean, Josh just alluded to it. It's come clean. It's mm-hmm. confession to God. It's confession to others. First um, John one nine talks about I'm going to experience cleansing when I confess my sin. James five talks about I'm going to experience healing when I confess my sin to you know to one another. Um, the consequences of that are different for everyone, but you can't get free or walk in the freedom that Jesus has given you mm-hmm. until you come clean. Okay. So um, and then. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to stay here and explore this a little more before I ask the next question because I do have another one. Uh, Joy, what's yeah, your? So, t- I agree with Josh. They have to come clean, mm-hmm. and in addition to that, they have to be a hundred percent ready to go through this journey. Yeah, because if good. they're kind of unsure, they're not ready to fully surrender. I mean, they're not going to find freedom. They're going to keep turning back, and they're not going to press forward. And so they have to be 100% ready to go all in and talk about right. this issue. And and of course, in the context of a marriage, coming clean is eventually, I, I can't imagine doing it and not, your spouse is going to be involved in that process. And that is a, uh, I don't know whether to describe it as a time bomb or you know risk or whatever. I mean, it seems to me that is the that is the um, wild card in the, in the in the exercise to some degree, because the reaction could be literally all over the map. Right. Right. But we also have to think about single people who don't have a partner. Okay. I mean, at least in a marriage, you have someone to maybe help you get right. through this. As a single woman, they don't have anybody. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Just, especially oh. a single woman in the church, mm-hmm. because like if. If she's sitting there and she's like, I struggle with this, and every time somebody is brought in to talk about it, it's about what men are struggling with. Right. It just makes her aloneness mm-hmm. increase. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Hmm. Josh, you're getting ready to say something about this. 
both here is effective of what both Josh and Joy is talking about, but there's still a more basic beginning solution. Mm-hmm. Is that if you try to go it alone, mm. you won't make it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Probably maybe one percent of Christians would ever make it if they try going it alone. If you try going alone, you'll probably never come 100% clean. You'll never come 100%, I'm going to see it through. One of the best things that I learned after being raped, I was raped from 6 to 13 years old by a man every single week for seven years. Mm. I was forced to watch uh, homosexual pornography for seven years almost every single day of my life in my own home by a man named Wayne Bailey. Mm. And after I came to Christ, one of the most marvelous thoughts I ever had, one of the most biblical, I need more than Jesus. Now, I know that sounds heretical, but it's biblical. I need more than Jesus. Pastors and teachers that preach, all you need is Jesus is probably doing more harm than almost anything else taught on pornography. And if somebody thinks I'm a heretic, then they are because I'm biblical. Just take your Bible and then start with the New Testament, how many scores of time it writes one another, one another, love one another, pray for another, counsel one another, encourage one another. Look at Galatians, bear one another's burdens. James 5, Confess your sins one to... That's not you and Jesus. That's you and a sister or brother in the body of Christ. And when we confess our sins to God, the Bible promises forgiveness. But what does he promise when we confess our sins one to another? Healing. And every time a parent, a teacher, a Bible teacher, a pastor preaches, all you need is Jesus. They're cutting people off from one of the greatest sources of healing. And it's not speaking in tongues or anything else. It's confessing your sins one to another. We need the body of Christ. I wouldn't be sitting here on this program with you, Daryl, if it hadn't been for Steve Arterburn, Henry Cloud, Faye Logan, Jim Simpson, Dick Day, and Paul Lewis. I needed these six men in my life to be there, to love me, to speak truth into my life, to listen to me where I could listen to them. If you think you're going to go it alone, you won't make it. Okay, and the other half of this that I see that I'm hearing through what you're saying is that is involved in this journey is uh, is the is the accountability that inevitably mm-hmm. has to come on the yes. other end. That 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 if <clears throat> the opposite, obviously, of going it alone is having people alongside right. who come alongside and who. Come through this. Uh, there's there's a lingering question in the back of my head that I think I want to get to now because I think this is where it fits, and that is there's an anticipation about how the church will react if I come forward. Um, you know, uh, you know. Not only do I have to do it with the time bomb of the, of the spouse, if you want to think of it in that situation, if you're in a marriage, but if I think about coming forward. The, the issue becomes, well, so what will the reaction be? And I can see a situation in which the anticipated reaction is so, I, I don't know how else to describe it, negative or so uh, full of rejection that a person says, I don't know if I'll risk coming forward. So what advice would you give to the bodies or the groups that um, – that field the confession, if I can say, if I can ask it that way. I, I hope the question's clear. No, it is. Okay, Josh, go ahead. I would say two things. I would say um, 
number one, to read John 8 and, uh, and watch Jesus' response to the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there were no stones thrown, mm-hmm. and nobody has the right to throw a stone, whether they struggle with sexual sin or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an interesting thing in there where he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, you know, and they're gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. Mm-hmm. Too many churches today, when people come forward to confess, pat them on the head. Hey, man, great for being honest. And then they just send them on their way to kind of go it alone. And there has to be a plan for how do you go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second piece to me is in Genesis 3 where in the midst of sin and shame, and Adam and Eve have blown it for all of mankind, that God still goes to meet with them in the cool of the day. Mm. And so what I would say to a pastor or to a church leader is, just like Jesus meets you in your stuff, meet them in theirs. Mm. Mm. And, and be Jesus in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their shame. Um, but don't be afraid to do tough love. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't say pat you on the head and hope maybe it works out for you. It's go and sin no more. It's, it's fight like crazy for their heart. And I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> they've, <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just want our, I want our church leaders, when they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Well, do what Jesus did. He prayed and fasted. If in Mark 9, if... If the disciples couldn't cast that demon out because they had to fast, and, and Jesus is saying it only comes out through prayer and fasting, that makes me think he fasted. Hmm. So if we don't know what to do and we're not sure where to start, well, you know what? How about we just pray and fast for a week hmm. and say, Jesus, meet me there so I know how to love this person well. Hmm. Yeah, and that's the goal is to figure out, is, is to move the person to a place where they can, um, can serve serve in a positive and full way the person that we're talking about. Joy, how do you... Yeah, and we can even do some preventative measures where from the pulpit our our pastors are preaching on pornography, are using it as an example, are pulling men and women, sharing their stories of freedom so that it's creating this safe place, it's creating this dynamic of, yes, I feel comfortable sharing about this in my church community. Should churches um, talk about openly how they would handle these kinds of things so that people have an idea of what to expect? Sure. Talk about the resources that the church provides. If they have regeneration, if they have small groups, if they have people who have struggled and are willing to meet with them, share that so that someone knows, okay, there's, there's options, there's ways to find freedom. Josh? The church absolutely needs to think this through ahead of time. You should not be caught surprised because it's the number one problem in your church and in every church in the world. And pastors, oh, I hate saying this, but I believe the overall majority of evangelical pastors that counsel people on pornography are doing more harm than good. Mm. It's, look, you've got to stop doing it, stop watching it, read God's word, pray, and trust Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, and you'll probably end up in suicide. Mm. Hmm. Pastors need to, one of the first things they do is empathize with the person. Thank them for being vulnerable. And then suggest a group. Every church should have a recovery group. Every church. And have the pastor, the greatest thing is do is allow that spouse of an addict or the person that's the addict 
into a small group. And that shouldn't be haphazard. They should have that all planned out ahead of time when anyone comes forward. And the last thing to say to the spouse of an addict is, well, you know, God says that you're supposed to obey your husband and please your husband. Maybe you just need to go back and be a little more sexier and everything else. That is one of the worst things you can say to a woman, because usually that has absolutely nothing to do with pornography. Hmm. Almost every single pornography person, pornography is just the symptom. There's almost always a deeper root cause out of a relationship when you're a child or something else. And when pastors and others deal with the symptom of pornography and not the cause, within three months that person will be worse off in greater shame and the depth of sorrow than ever before. Yeah, that's... And a small group helps to bring that out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the root root is the... You got to get to the heart, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things we, we use an acronym. It's called Blast: bored, lonely, angry, afraid, sad, stressed, shame, tired. Mm. So when you're tempted, what of those are you feeling? And that helps us to get to the heart issue. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our time is up, uh, and you've been immensely helpful. This has been terrific to walk through, and um, almost shocking in some ways to hear but i think uh, i think important uh, i i can tell you i almost for sure i'd love to have you back because obviously we've only just gotten started um, but it's a, clearly an important discussion it's a discussion that as we've shown is pervasive in the church the church needs to p- pull its act together in terms of thinking through uh, how to deal with this people who are caught uh need to come forward, and they need to come forward in an environment in which people will surround them and help them uh, help them uh, turn and change and, and with the support that's necessary. So I thank you all for taking the time and for engaging in a ministry uh, that reaches out and tries to help people who are caught uh, in pornography. And Daryl, yeah? can I suggest get the book Pure Desire by Dr. Ted Roberts. Okay. It's probably the number one book in the world, Pure Desire, okay. by Dr. Ted Roberts, or Healing Wounds by Dr. Mark Laser, L-A-S-E-E-R. Those are the two finest resources for pastors, for parents, whatever single people married in the entire world. Okay, thank you for that, Josh. We thank you all for coming in, and we thank you all for joining us on the table, and we hope you'll be back again with us soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.